With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Bill Schmidt of Sports Map Radio is going to be joining me. He, like myself, hails from the great state of Wisconsin. He does a great job holding it down overnight. Now I do that as well for the Vegas Sites and Information Network every Saturday and Sunday. So we late-nighters have to stay together. We're going to be chatting with them a little bit about the National League playoff hunt. We've obviously got a big series between the Brewers and the Cardinals going down. And we're going to be talking about what team we favor a little bit more if they wind up going up against the Cardinals in the one-game playoff. Because as we know, the Dodgers and the Giants are going to be those two teams. They're going to be fighting for the right to not have to take on the St. Louis Cardinals this final week of the season. So we're going to be chatting about that. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. 
I know that a lot of you guys wanted up asking me about futures, and I addressed this a little bit on Sunday, so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a quick and dirty here as I dive into the Twitter mailbag about how I gauge futures right now if I were to fire in on them. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. And the reason why I preface the question the way that I did is because we get this one in from OG Bobby Bottles at Dr. Pearls underscore on Twitter. He pretty much took a screenshot of the odds board that we are seeing at DraftKings when it comes to odds to win the World Series. And he asked, if I had to take one of these, who would I favor at these odds to win it all? And I gave the honest effort of none of these because if you take a look at the DraftKings odds as of right now to win the World Series, you've got the Dodgers at plus 340, the Houston Astros at plus 450, Brewers are at 7 to 1, you've got the White Sox at plus 750, Rays at 8 to 1, San Francisco Giants plus 850, Yankees at 12 to 1, Braves at 14 to 1, Red Sox at 22 to 1, Cardinals at 25 to 1, Blue Jays at 30 to 1, Phillies at 60 to 1. Might actually have a little bit of value at Seattle Mariners at 150 to 1. And then you wind up getting into the Athletics and the Cincinnati Reds, in which if either of those teams even make the postseason, you got to be feeling really good about themselves. And you've got to be feeling really good about yourself. And the reason why I said I don't see value with any of these is because if you just wind up putting one unit on the team, whether they be in the wild card or if it be like the divisional series, if they wind up being able to avoid that and just roll over the money every single series, you're actually going to be able to make more on that rather than if you bet futures right now. There's just no value in it right now because if you just... I threw this out there when it comes to this example of the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the longer teams on that board as of right now at plus 2,500, so 25 to 1. Let's say that they wind up drawing the LA Dodgers in the first round of the postseason, the wildcard game, and they are plus 200, which I think is a legitimate price if you wind up having Max Scherzer go out there. So you wind up putting down $100, you get back $200 on top of that $100 if they wind up winning. So now you're left with $300. Let's say you wind up getting even money, and we know that this would not be the price for the St. Louis Cardinals in their first round series against the San Francisco Giants. It's probably going to be more like, I would probably say, plus 150 maybe, and I even might be a little bit low on that. So you wind up getting in there an extra $450. Now, you've already got 750 in there. And let's say that you wind up getting even money in the championship series. So you're able to multiply that by two. You now have $1,500, and you've got a World Series between they and the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, the Chicago White Sox, the list goes on and on. And the Cardinals probably aren't going to be favored in any of those. You figure that they wind up getting even money. If you did this rollover tactic, for one, you wind up protecting yourself if there winds up being any injuries that wind up happening, you wind up having a circumstance in which if you don't like the matchup that they wind up drawing, you can walk away. And two, with the prices I just laid out, instead of getting back $2,500, you just got back $3,000. That is why you don't bet on futures right now. That's why you take the rollover mentality. That's why you bet it series by series. I personally go game by game. I really don't go series by series. But if you're going to be looking at futures, there's just no value in it right now. I actually talked about this with our good buddy Danny Burke of the Vegas Hats and Information Network on the podcast a few days ago. If you're looking for that podcast, that is dated September 27th, so just a few days ago. I think that that is a very beneficial chat to take a look back at it if you're looking for a little bit more 
more information on this, but that's why I just do not advise any futures right now. So hopefully that actually gave you guys a little bit of something. If it was a little bit of a bummer, I do apologize. But with that said, I think that that's the best way to be able to play it right now if you're looking at futures. And the best way to be able to play baseball in general is just keeping track of everything that is going on. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing on Tuesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The dummy behind the microphone faded the streak in the New York Post and paid for it dearly as the St. Louis Cardinals have won 17 straight games. They might have taken down the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 6-2. I thought it was the night that the streak was going to end. I gave it out for the New York Post and I get egg on my face. I take full responsibility. You don't need to troll me. I will troll myself. This was a bad call. I get what I deserve. Luis Odias was the main form of offense for the Brewers in this one. 22nd home run of the season. Brandon Woodruff. He didn't necessarily go long in this one. It seems like the Brewers are going to be giving a lot of their starters rest according to Craig Council for this final week of the season. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of four innings. Did wind up giving up a home run in the process as going deep off of him was Dylan Carlson, 16th home run season. And then you had Hobie Milner give up a pair of bombs. Nolan Arenado, 34th home run season. Jose Rondon was able to get his third home run season as Mr. Milner gives up two solo runs over the course of his two innings. And then you wound up having Mr. John Del Gustave give up two runs, one of which was earned in an inning as Avi Sale Garcia wound up making an error out there in the field. Daniel Norris, a scoreless inning. And how about for the St. Louis Cardinals? Adam Wainwright, the ageless one. Two runs given up over the course of six innings. He is now 17-7. and TJ McFarlane, Luis Garcia, Giovanni Gallegos all come in for scoreless innings from there. They get the job done. Speaking of being able to get the job done, the Mets do twice. In game one, they were able to get a win by a count of 5-2. In this one, Marcus Stroman relatively solid going five innings, giving up two runs, including a homer going deep for the Miami Marlins. You had Lewin Diaz get his eighth home run season. Zach Thompson, he went one inning giving up a run. He took the loss. That's just a little bit of a tough break there as Daniel Castano winds up coming in for three innings. Gives up two runs, one of which was earned. He had just come off the 60-day injured list, so likely his final appearance of the season. Zach Pop from there. A scoreless inning in Seabro occurred. Winds up giving up two runs in an inning as there was a pair of errors by Eddie Alvarez out there in the field. And then you wind up having Nick Fortes wind up committing an error as well. So that was not great. And for the Metropolitans, they go 2 of 9 with men in scoring position. And Francisco Lindor has been able to find a little bit of something here late. 19th home run season at Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz. Both give you a scroll saying. And then a game that was slated to go 7 innings wound up going 9 as the Mets wind up getting a walk-off winner in game 2 by a count of 2 to 1. For the Marlins, in this one, they gave Trevor Rodgers a start, and he was solid, giving up one run over the course of five innings. Richard Blyer, Anthony Bender combined for two scoreless innings. Dylan Floro gives you a scoreless inning, and then Anthony Bass gives up the walk-off winner for the New York Metropolitans as Jesus Sanchez, the lone form of offense for the Miami Marlins, 14th home run season. That comes off of Mr. Trevor Williams, who wound up being the bulk guy after Noah Thor Syndergaard pitched off a major league mound for the first time since 2019, throwing a scoreless inning. Williams from there gives up that solo run over the course of four innings. Did a good job of evading danger, giving up five hits in the process. From there, Miguel Castro, Trevor Major, such familiar, Brad Ann. I'll give you scoreless innings. And for the Mets, they wind up winning this game, despite the fact that they just went one of nine with men in scoring position, but they were able to do just enough to be able to get the job done in this spot. Speaking of being able to get the job done, that's exactly what you got with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They take down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 8-3 to three after the Cubs wind up getting up 
by a count of 6-3 in this one. And then they wind up blowing it in the sixth inning as the Pittsburgh Pirates were able to erupt a little bit on offense off of Alec Mills, who winds up giving up six runs over the course of five innings, including a homer to Colin Moran, his seventh of the season. For Mitch Thunder Geller, he gives up six runs over the course of four innings for the Buccos. But then from there, Anthony Banda, Aniel De Los Santos, Jason Shreve, David Bernard, Chris Strain, all are able to give you scoreless settings. And for the Pirates, they go 5 of 7 with men in scoring position. So they did a great job of timely hitting. Adam Morgan gives up a run in two thirds of an inning. Trevor McGill, he gives up a run in one and a third innings, but it was unearned as Rafael Ortega wanted making a fielding error. Michael Rucker gives you a scoreless setting, but the Cubs, their swoon continues. This is just a bad loss in general. The Boston Red Sox, who badly need wins to be able to secure a wild card spot, lose to the poopy Baltimore Orioles by a count of 42 with Chris Sale going. Sale winds up giving up three runs over the course of five and a third innings, including a homer going deep for the Baltimore Orioles for Ryan Castle, 32nd homer on the season. Bruce Zimmerman getting his first start since the dawn of time, a.k.a. June 13th. Why is it going four innings, giving up one run? You do wind up giving up a solo run, and Marco C. Plan gives up a solo run in his two innings. Going deep, Kyle Schwarber, 32nd home run season, and then you wind up getting the 29th of the season for Hunter Renfro. But then from there, Baltimore very solid. You wind up getting a squirrel sending out of Cole Solzer to be able to close it out. And Joey Cabrillo, hopefully I said that one correctly, two squirrel settings as the Red Sox wind up taking a really bad loss and the Yankees wound up winning. So now they've got full control of that number one wild card spot. 72, they take down the Toronto Blue Jays who find themselves just one game back of the Boston Red Sox in the wild card chase as Jamison Tyon pretty much was an opener in this one. Gives up one run in two and a third innings. Michael King, two and two thirds innings. He gives up one run in the process, but Wani Peralta, Luis Severino, Chad Green, Clay Holmes all give you a scoreless setting. And for the Yankees, it was home run derby in this one. Giancarlo Stanton is 35th home run season, and I believe that this is like his fourth home run in the last six days or something like that. He has been insane. He has given the team 15 home runs in his last 33 games. Giro Shell, 14th home run season, and then Aaron Judge is 37th home run in the campaign. His son, Jin Ryu, gives up three runs in four and a third innings, and if Simber gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, Nate Pearson, a scoreless inning, and then Anthony Castro gives up one of those solo home runs in his inning of work. Julia Merriweather gives you four outs without giving up a run out of the bullpen, but Trevor Richards has all of a sudden looked very shaky. He got two outs. He winds up giving up three runs in the process and entered into this one actually with a 0.75 ERA over his last 30 days, but that wound up hiking up after this one. ERAs didn't necessarily hike up after this one as neither of these teams generated a lot of offense. 3-2, the Minnesota Twins take down the Detroit Tigers as Tyler Alexander is a tough luck loser. He gives up one run over the course of six innings and then Jose Ureña. Ureña is all over this game, giving up two runs over the course of two innings, including a home run to Miguel Sino, his 30th home run season. Charlie Barnes, who was fresh off of a minor league start just a few days ago. Four scoreless for the Minnesota Twins. From there, Ore Alcala, Ty Duffy, Caleb Theobar, Ralph Garza Jr. I'll give you a scoreless inning and Alex Call made the big giant waste of money. Winds up giving up two runs in the ninth, but fortunately he had three runs to play with, so that was beneficial as the Twins went 0 of 9 with men in scoring position. The Tigers, 2 of 9 with men in scoring position, but no home runs. 10 men left on base, so a little bit brutal for a Tigers team that ever since the All-Star break has actually been above 500. The Chicago White Sox have been very solid at home, not so solid on the road, but in this one they were at home and they got the job done by a count of 7 to 1 against the Cincinnati Reds. Now 50 and 27 at home, the only team with more home wins out there in the American League. That would actually be the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll get to them in a minute. But for the White Sox, they did a great job of holding down the Cincinnati Reds. And Eugenio Suarez, who is hitting like a 325 over the last three days. It's been insane to watch. He gets his 30th home run season. But for some reason, they gave Riley O'Brien the start in this one. He gives up two runs, both of which were solo bombs over the course of one and a third innings. Going 
Nipa Favum, Yohan Moncada, his 13th home run season. Luis Robert would get his 11th home run season off of him. And then he would take Amir Garrity for his 12th home run season. Gavin Sheets would go deep off of Luis Sessa for his 10th home run season. For Sessa, he gives up that home run in his two and two-thirds innings. Amir Garrett gave up that home run, two runs in total over the course of an inning. You had Tony Santillan give you four outs out of the bullpen. And then Michael Lorenzen gives up two runs in one and a third innings. And then for the Chicago White Sox, Rinaldo Lopez, a great start. He gives up that home run to Suarez. Just one run in total over the course of six innings. Jose Ruiz, Aaron Bummer, Matt Foster from there. I'll give you scoreless things. And then speaking of the Tampa Bay race, they wound up having a lead going into the ninth inning against the Houston Astros, but the Astros were able to get a walk-off winner. 4-3, to three, the finalists. Being able to get the walk-off winner was actually a walk-off walk of all things by Jason Castro. And Chance McCormick also scored on a walk in that inning as JT Chargois. Could not find the plate. He wound up giving out a pair of walks as Josh Fleming had loaded up the bases pretty much for the Tampa Bay Rays in the ninth inning, giving up two runs while getting one out. And for Michael Walker, typically we do the dying Pac-Man voice for him of Waka, 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 that would actually be the bullpen because he was very good. Five scoreless innings for him, so give him credit. Andrew Kittrich gives up a run in an inning. David Robertson gives up just one run over the course of two innings, but both of those gentlemen gave up solo bombs. Going deep for the Astros, Jose Altuve is 31st home run season. Alex Bregman is 12th. And Jose Urquidy, pretty solid start, giving up two runs, one homer over the course of five innings. Going deep off of him was Yandy Diaz, 13th home run season. And then Randy Orozarena wound up breaking the tie in the ninth and put the team in the lead against Phil Maiden with his 20th home run season for Maiden. Gives up that one run over the course of one and a third innings for Burke Rayleigh. Pair of outs out of the bullpen. Blake Taylor, Emi Garcia both give you a scoreless setting. And the Astros able to get the job done on Tuesday. Being able to get the job done on Tuesday as well. The Colorado Rockies in a very low scoring game for Coors. 3-1 to one the final as Washington Nationals go 0-9 of 9 with men in scoring position. And Patrick Corbin didn't look terrible in this one. He gave up two runs and a homer of the course of six innings. You'll take that if you're the Washington Nationals with how he's pitched so far this year. Trevor Story was able to get his 24th homer on season. But for the Colorado Rockies, it was just lights out from Kyle Freeland. Six and two-thirds innings giving up a run. Tyler Kinley gives you an out of the bullpen. And then Jordan Sheffield and Carlos Estevez were all able to give you scoreless innings. And for Freeland, the team has actually been able to do quite well in his recent starts. They are now 7-3 and three in his last ten. So Freeland having a nice resurgence here in the back half of the season. The Kansas City Royals have been able to have a little bit of a resurgence towards the back half of the season. Probably too little too late if you wind up taking their season win totals over, but there still might be a little bit of hope for some of you guys depending on your number. 6-4 the final as you wind up having Brady Singer go two outs and give up three runs in the process, and then the bullpen wound up piecemealing this thing together for the Kansas City Royals. Irvin Santana, three scoreless innings. You wind up getting one and a third innings out of both Dylan Coleman along with Gabe Spear. A scoreless inning out of Domingo Tapia. Jake Prince winds up giving up a run while getting just one out. And then Josh Shamout gets the final four outs for the W. And Salvador Perez overtakes the lead in the home run chase in all of baseball. 47th home run season. That comes off of Aaron Savali. Andrew Benatini will get his 17th home run of the season. For Mr. Savali, he went five and a third innings, giving up both of those homers. Four runs in total. You wind up having a pair of outs out of the bullpen from Anthony Goose. And then Blake Parker gives up one run and one and a third innings. And Brian Shaw gives up a run while getting a pair of outs as well as the Cleveland Indians wind up going two of nine with men in scoring position. The LA Angels have been towards the bottom of the league when it comes to runs per game in the month of September. And once again, not a lot doing in this one. Five to two, the Texas Rangers take down the Angels as Max Assey was the main form of offense in this one. 13th home run season that comes off of AJ Alexi, who's now given up two earned runs or fewer in three out of his four starts. Wound up having long relief appearance that jacked up his ERA 
little bit, but gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Kobe Allard along Joe Barlow both give you scoreless innings. And then Brett Martin and Dennis Santana combine for a pair of scoreless innings. And for the Texas Rangers, no home runs, but they go three of nine with men in scoring position. And for Becky Naughton, not a great start for him, man. A great name, by the way, but four runs given up over the course of two innings. From there, you wind up having Andrew Wants along with Mr. Oliver Ortega wind up combining for four scoreless innings. Jimmy Argoat winds up giving up a run in an inning, and then Sam Selman gives you a scoreless inning, but for the Angels, not a lot doing against a Rangers team that had been scoring the fewest runs per game in all of baseball ever since the All-Star break. The Atlanta Braves certainly are not in that full, but they wind up winning in a game in which did not feature a lot of offense. Two to one the final. Got a feel for Zach Wheeler in this one. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of seven innings. Hector Neris gives you a scoreless inning. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, absolutely nothing doing on offense. Charlie Morton was solid. Seven scoreless innings, punching out 10 in the process. Will Smith did wind up giving up a run in the ninth inning, but it was an unearned run as he was hurt by a fielding error. And Luke Jackson winds up giving you a scoreless inning. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they badly needed this game because they entered into the night two and a half games out of the National League East race with the Atlanta Braves. So that loss certainly puts their playoff hopes in peril. The Oakland A's also put their playoff hopes in peril. The Seattle Mariners just won't lose. 4-2 to in the final. A team with a negative 50 run differential is now ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays in the playoff standings. With a plus 167 run differential as... For the Mariners, you wound up having Mitch Haniger go deep. His 38th home run season. That comes off of Jake Diekman as this Oakland A's bullpen has really been failing them bad. Chris Bassett goes three in the third innings, giving up a run. Yasmino Petit gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Sergio Romo along Jake Diekman combined for three innings, giving up two runs. And then Lou Trevino was able to give you a scoreless inning. Chad Binder. Gets his fifth home run season off of Tyler Anderson, who winds up going four innings, giving up just that solo home run. And then Anthony Machevich, Diego Casillo, both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Casey Sadler, along with Paul Sewald, both give you one and a third innings out of the bullpen. And for Casillo, he did give up a run, but it was an under run. He was hurt by an error out there in the field as committing that was himself. So, so he run that probably should have been earned. And then Drew Steckenrider winds up giving you a squirrel setting. Abraham Toro also did make an error out there in the field as well, but certainly one of those cases in which I always get confused when you wind up having a pitcher give up a unearned run, but it was due to his own error. I think that that should be on the pitcher, but that's just me. This is on the San Diego Padres for being absolutely pathetic. They now have a sub 500 record. Two to one the final. The Padres have just completely imploded as they are now 11-30 and 30 in their last 41 games. Going deep, Jake Cronenworth, 21st home run season. That came in the ninth inning, and that was their lone form of offense. Hugh Darvish winds up giving you four innings, giving up two runs. So, an already bruised and battered bullpen had to be used for more innings. Javi Guerra, Ross Stettweiler, combined for two scoreless innings. And Reese Kennard was able to give you two scoreless. So, they held up at the point of attack there, but for the Dodgers, Walker Buehler gave you a tremendous start. Gives up nothing over the course of seven innings as he has now went at least six innings in 29 out of his 32 starts so far this year. Joe Kelly, a scoreless inning. And then Blake Tryon winds up giving up that solo home run in his inning of work. And the San Francisco Giants get the job done against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks now have 107 losses. The Giants now have 103. Six of four the final. As for the Giants, they are now 18-2 and two in Logan Webb's last 20 starts. He gives up one under run over the course of five innings and... For Webby, has given up three runs or fewer in 17 of these starts. 
Jose Alvarez was able to give you a scoreless setting. Camilio Duvall gets the final outs of the ninth inning as you do wind up having Tyler Rogers give up two runs in an inning and Tony Watson does give up a solo run in the process going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks for his second home run this season. Jake McCarthy so you wind up having him go yard and for Luke Weaver only gives up one run over the course of four innings but this team is really bad and Sean Poppin is seeing his ERA popping up. Gives up four runs over the course of a third of an inning now. He was hurt by Josh Rojas there so only one of them was earned but you do have Caleb Smith give you a scoreless inning. Brett guys gives up a run in an inning. Tyler Clipper gives up nothing in his inning of work and Joe Manette typically gives you a pair of outs before the San Francisco Giants. Another big win for them. And if you're taking a look at betting trends in baseball right now, you are noticing that home teams are not necessarily doing well right now. You take a look at home teams and how they've been able to do for the season. Overall, they're hitting at a 53.7% rate, 1259 and 1087. But let's take a look at how they've done in the last 30 days. And it has been pretty poopy, 194 and 202. Favorites in that time span, hitting at a 57.3% clip, 224 and 167. Overs, they've got a slim disadvantage to unders over the last three days. 191 unders to 184 overs. Meanwhile, you take a look at the last seven days, and we have seen home teams really do a little bit better with a 47-41 and 41 record, but the unders have still had a little bit of a lead over overs in the last seven days. 45 unders along with 42 overs, and in that time span, favorites have gone 54 and 34. As for the season to date, favorites 1,380 and 943, so hitting at a rate of about 59.4%. Meanwhile, unders have a slight lead on overs at 1,127 and 1,105. So that's what we all wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and St. Louis Cardinals series. Let's take a look at the National League playoff picture in general with our good friend Bill Schmidt of Sports Map Radio. That chat comes your way next right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast with myself, Craig Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the baseball betting podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as this man, much like myself, does a great job holding it down when it comes to late night radio as he does sports map all night. That is over there at Sports Map Radio. He hosts from 9 p.m. to midnight if you're out there in the central time zone. If you're looking in regards to central time, that is from 7 p.m. until 10 every Monday through Friday. He also does some great work when it comes to his work over there in the game, over there at the game day in Milwaukee, 97.3 from 6 to 7 every Monday through Friday. That is central time as well. He also does some work with the Milwaukee Admirals as well as it's always great to get Bill Schmidt on the podcast and to be able to follow Bill on Twitter. That is at Bill Schmidt Radio. That is his first and last name, but be cautious of the spelling because last name is spelled S-C-H-M-I-D, no T. And Bill, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, I always appreciate it, man. And always good to come on and talk some playoff baseball. We are so close to getting these things going. And I can't wait. we still got some divisions coming down to the wire, some tickets to cash on some futures. And then we're going to get right into the playoffs, which are going to be so exciting this year. Oh, I am right there with you. And it would be very fascinating to see if the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals, who are currently doing battle on a series, wind up hooking up in the postseason. Because with the Milwaukee Brewers, this team has been so vastly different ever since they've gotten William Thomas into the fold with regards to that offense. Prior to him coming over, 3.65 runs per game is what they've been generating. Going into Tuesday's game against the St. Louis Cardinals, more around 4.97. And 
I think that he is a difference maker because you wound up seeing that he was out for about two, two and a half weeks in the month of September. And then he winds up coming back in that Mets series. He pounds a pair of homers in that one. And I really do think that he is a blueprint to the Brewers being able to have success in the postseason. I agree with you. And I think it's also attributed to, Greg, how Avisayil Garcia is hitting as well. This is a dude that's leading the, the team in homers with 29 bombs having a complete resurgence of a year from a year ago. But the acquisition of Willie triggered something in this group from an emotional standpoint that connected the team in a different way. Not to say that they didn't like each other before, not to say that they weren't having fun, they weren't winning that way, but there is a different level of energy around this team since the Adamas move, and it's largely contributed to the energy that he brings each and every day. And also their lineup just got a lot thicker. It got a lot more legitimate. And you're being able to do this. You're sitting here with 93 wins and we're talking about a division champion with Christian Yelich being a 745 OPS player, which is right at league average, if not a little bit below. That's the stunning part about it as to how they've been able to generate offense since the Adamas move. You would believe it was with an uptick from their top player in in their perennial all-star, but it just hasn't been that way. It's been dynamite pitching and a offense that is connected by hitting some timely home runs and being able to be really, really clutch. That doesn't show up in many Sabre metrics. I don't know that Fangraphs has a breakdown for it, but this team gets big-time hits and some big-time moments. I actually do think that Fangraphs has a little bit of something for it. It's something that is really complex. I know that my good friend Danny Vietti over there with CBS Sports was actually mentioning how the Mariners are the most clutch team out there in the MLB. And when you've got a negative 50 run differential, you're still alive for the postseason. You have to be a little bit clutch, but Mm -hmm. it certainly is absolutely amazing what we have seen from the Milwaukee Brewers. But if I do have one question mark with them, I think that you'd agree with this. It is Freddie Peralta. We've seen in his starts ever since coming off the injured list. Hasn't necessarily been so solid in his five starts since coming off the injured list. A north of four ERA giving up three-plus runs in four out of those five starts. In his previous 16 starts, he had given up two runs or fewer in 14 of them. I think that it's going to lead to decisions for the Brewers as to how they're going to be setting up their pitching staff when it comes to the postseason because Eric Lauer has come on. He's done some great things for the Brewers. I recognize that Adrian Hauser had a little bit of a rough start about two weeks ago, but he had the first complete game for the Brewers since Kyle Loesch in 2014. So even with Freddie Peralta's struggles, this is still a team that they're going to have a very formidable pitching staff and a very good rotation when it comes to October baseball. I agree. There's a question there with that third starter. I also think it's just the question as to how they're going to set up the rotation. And they have the ability now to take some time and analyze how they want to do it. You have the benefit of winning your division where you're going to be able to pace. You're going to be able to figure out with these next you know, 12 days or so before they'll play the first Friday of October in the division series here in Milwaukee. So there's a lot that there is still going to be ironed out. I am not going to rule out the fact, though, Greg, and people that remember watching that 2018 NLCS where Wade Miley started back-to-back games, ultimately threw to one hitter in, I believe it was game four in Los Angeles, and then threw again in game five. I'm not going to rule out the fact that there's an opener situation, that they don't stack those guys around, and that Freddie Peralta factors into game three, maybe not as the starter. Maybe it's Eric Lauer, or maybe Eric Lauer's coming out of the bullpen where his first innings have kind of been the issue in the starts, that he hasn't been dynamite. But 
That dude has been superb over the last couple of weeks. Going to be tough to keep him out of that spot. It's the best problem to have come October, but they got a lot of guys that they like that are going to factor in. I'm just fascinated to see how they're deployed and at what point in the game, Craig Council's always made it clear, he doesn't have pitchers, he has out-getters is what he calls them. That They're going to be called upon to get outs whenever they can, and whenever they're called upon, just might not be in the normal time that we've been accustomed to. It's also going to be very fascinating to see if Brett Anderson winds up factoring into things as well. As we know, not a hard tosser, but at the same time, a steady Eddie guy with right around a 4-3 ERA doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but at the same time, just does his job, doesn't necessarily walk a lot of guys. So the Brewers have a wide bevy of options there as Bill Schmidt does a great job over there at SportsMap Radio. He is joining me on the podcast. And then you got to talk about the other team in the series, the St. Louis Cardinals. They enter into Tuesday having won 16 straight games. Absolutely ridiculous Amazing. what we've seen. I mean, I keep on mentioning it on this podcast. They're like that villain in a slasher film that you think you've killed them about seven times. You've taken their chainsaw, you've cut them off with their own chainsaw, and somehow, some way, they are not just not dead, but now as you are sprinting away from this guy, they are gaining ground on you by merely walking as you are sprinting. That is the St. Louis Cardinals, and I've just been so intrigued by this scene because they've gotten it from a little bit of everyone. They've got Adam Wainwright on the bump for Tuesday. They've set up their rotation very well for a one-game wildcard, whether they be playing against the San Francisco Giants or the Los Angeles Dodgers, a pair of teams in which a pair of teams in which they've done very well against. So I take a look at the Cardinals, and they are going to be very intriguing to watch these next 10 or so days, especially when it comes to when they wind up playing in that one-game wildcard. I couldn't agree with you more. And the way that the Cardinals have ticked for the majority of the year, they just haven't been able to string along wins consecutively when Flaherty and Dakota Hudson have been out. That's the most impressive part about this. Those guys just got back into the lineup against the Cubs. And they're the meat of this order in St. Louis, we knew was going to be fantastic. I mean, you're stacking up two of the premier hitters in the league with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, four, five, three, four, however you want to stack it. That's elite. But it just hadn't registered around. And, and they've had some development from some young guys. Man, Bader has been playing lights out in center field. This new guy that they got, uh, Lutenberger or whatever the Bar, heck is name. Loot bar, that's what it is. Sounds like one of the candy bars that they were doing in developmental parts of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. However, the guys played fantastic in right field and Ben Clutch. I mean, that grab he had against Pete Alonzo, one of the top plays of the year so far. And the Cardinals are, are, you mentioned they're a little bit of a runaway train right now, but you're still sitting here as a Milwaukee Brewer fan with like a seven-game lead while this team's won 16 straight games. It's remarkable now, in certain instances, I think if you're the L.A. Dodgers, if you're the San Francisco Giants, as those teams are going to be sitting there waiting for the Cardinals, you're just hoping that maybe St. Louis peaked a little bit too early. Hard to say, but they are a dynamite group right now, and their bullpen has been a huge factor in that as well. I'm right there with you, and I do feel for whoever of the Giants and the Dodgers has to wind up playing in that one-game wild card because both enter into the week with 100 wins, and one of these teams is going to have to play a one-game do-or-die despite having the second-best record in all of baseball. And whichever team winds up getting in that one-game wild card, no doubt they need to be the favorite against the St. Louis Cardinals regardless of how odd the St. Louis Cardinals have been. But you take a look at it, and I do think that if it does wind up being the Dodgers, since they are currently behind the Giants, they actually would be a little bit more equipped 
for a one-game wild card because you could throw out their Max Scherzer. Meanwhile, with the Giants, we have seen Kevin Gosman struggle a little bit more. Logan Webb has come back to earth a little bit as well. So if there is a team that I think would be a little bit more equipped for that one-game wild card, I would say would be the Dodgers over the San Francisco Giants right now. Yeah, the Dodgers are are so dangerous. But now if you're looking at it from another perspective as well, and whoever ends up winning that division, if you're the Giants winning it, it's a huge advantage from the standpoint of they most likely have to burn Scherzer in that wild card game, you would imagine, unless they want to go Bueller, which I would understand. And this is the best part about it. Now where you can see the finish line, you're seeing one of the races between the top two teams in the league coming down to the wire where if Los Angeles has to go to 162 and Milwaukee most likely isn't going to do them any favors because Milwaukee plays Los Angeles as well here over the upcoming weekend. I know we're talking Cardinals and Brewers in the midweek series, but that's how it wraps up as well. No way in heck Milwaukee wants to see Los Angeles later on, the team that's bounced them out of the playoffs uh, two of the last three years back in 18 and LCS and last year in the three-game piece Uh, in the 16-team field. That's a part of it as well. Teams are going to have different motivations. I know Milwaukee is going to be motivated to try and throw a wrench into that plan. I think long-term, though, you got to be more worried about Los Angeles than San Francisco. I totally agree with you, and I think that that's what makes this postseason race so great, as we do have Bill Schmidt of Sportsmap Radio joining me on the podcast, is that you're really not going to see any of these teams really let up, because with the Milwaukee Brewers, though they have the division clinch, you know that they would love to do nothing more than to snap the St. Louis Cardinals win streak, be able to win this series in St. Louis, and then take it to the LA Dodgers, who you mentioned a little bit earlier, have had their number in the postseason. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, they're going to be playing the winner of the National League East. And that is still to be decided as well, because right now the Atlanta Braves going into Tuesday, two and a half lead over the Philadelphia Phillies, but you got an Atlanta Braves versus Philadelphia Phillies three-game series. If the Braves wind up dropping those three games, well, then you've got a big giant calamity on your hands, and they wind up coming down to the final series of the season. So you've got all these teams in the National League that are all playing their absolute hardest and they're all jockeying for position and trying to have their own motivations wind up coming to fruition. Well, and you can call me crazy, Greg, but I think as teams in the National League, you want to see the Atlanta Braves maybe more so than the Phillies. And I don't believe that the Braves are by any stretch of the imagine worse than the Philadelphia Phillies. But the Phillies have some kind of, we talked about the clutch gene before. The Phillies have a weird feeling about that group where it's an EKG monitor every single night. You're on grabber watch every single day. You don't know what's going to happen with that team late in games. Now they could get swept out right out of the gates as just about any team in baseball could. Or that Phillies team could come back in a couple of dramatic games and stun one of these groups and roll a little bit of mojo that it appears they have. Maybe I got a weird feeling about it. I would much rather, and and I do here as a Milwaukee Brewer fan, I absolutely am rather hopeful that we see Atlanta, which I think is a better team, just doesn't seem to have the fear factor that Philadelphia has. And oh, by the way, Milwaukee has been brutal against Philadelphia this year. So maybe that's part of the reason as well. (laughs) Absolutely. And the big thing with Philadelphia is that they've done a tremendous job at home. On the road, it's been very shaky. But to your point about the Philadelphia Phillies, they've won 31 run games and they are 9-4 and in extra inning games. The only team that has won more one-run games and won more games that have been decided either by one run or in extra innings, that would be our good friends, the Seattle Mariners, who are 
going into Tuesday, 33 and 18 in one run games at 13 and seven in extra inning games, which I still think is one of the most ridiculous things we've ever seen. And that should be a good series as well. I know that we're talking a lot of National League here, but at the same time with the Seattle Mariners, I don't think that anyone saw this team still being in contention in the mm-hmm. final week of the season. And it's one of those things where you keep saying regression is going to come in, regression is going to come in, regression is going to come in because they've got a negative 61 run differential going into Monday. But at the same time, when you get down this late in the season, by the time regression comes in, it's just too late at this point. And what happens if regression comes in, but it comes in in 2022? So it's one yeah. of those things with the Seattle Mariners that you've been banking on regression all year long. And eventually it is going to come about. But at this point, you have to wonder if that regression just comes through next year rather than sometime here in the next week or if they wind up making the postseason if it winds up happening in, say, October, what have you. Well, and I wonder, Greg, if you talk to Gary DePoto out there in Seattle, if he would, in any stretch, and I don't know if anybody, you know, beers on the table would have this this take on it or at least be able to think about it this candidly. I wonder if he does regret a little bit the moves that they made at the trade deadline. Now, I think they got better. Abraham Toro has been phenomenal for them as well. But there was a clear disconnect with that move to send Kendall Graveman to the Houston Astros, a team that at the moment, I believe they were only like two or three games back of the Astros. They felt like they were going to beat Houston. And for a little while, it took some wind out of their sails. That's the danger we get into. And I think baseball teams do as well. Us as prognosticators and people that like to invest with certain games. Sometimes we do look at those numbers a little bit, maybe too much. And we put a little too much emphasis on it instead of being able to step back and analyze it from the standpoint of guys going out and playing the game and being around guys that you like and guys that you're meshing with and can never take what's in that locker room for granted and what's in that clubhouse for granted. I wonder if DePoto would think about it. And and maybe that was part of the reason why they made those moves, believing, yeah, we're good. I think we're going to be better maybe in 2022, 2023. Let's focus on that instead of being able to maybe capitalize on something that could be really, really special with this group. Because you're right. I mean, those kind of numbers don't have much more of an explanation than the fact that special seasons are made of special stories and special stat lines. That is a special one. Let me tell you the craziest thing about this. Going into Monday, the Seattle Mariners, negative 61 run differential, 86 and 70 record. The Miami Marlins, Negative 64 run differential at 64 and 91. I mean, that's a difference of three runs. And you're the Seattle Mariners are in the thick of the postseason. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins are sitting here with 91 losses. So, I mean, you just have had one of the biggest outliers I think we've ever seen in baseball history. But what is not an outlier is Bill being able to deliver great content. You do so every Monday through Friday on Sports Map Radio. You do a great job holding it down in the great state of Wisconsin over there at 97.3 The Game. You do a wide variety of things, and you do so also well. So, Bill, let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. It is at Bill Schmidt Radio. That's on Instagram as well as Twitter that you hit right there. You do Sports Map all night, like I mentioned, every single night, Monday through Friday. Really, really fun show that we put together on Sunday mornings as well on Sports Map. And you find it across the country, the Sports Map Radio app or streamsportsmap.com. I call it Sunday Countdown, and we get to go around with some incredible access to all the different teams, hear from players going into each and every game, what they're feeling through the week. And we do that for two hours. Uh, Starts up at 9 Eastern time. We do that each and every Sunday morning going into the slate of the NFL. And I think it's one of my favorite shows that I've been able to work on 
just from the preparation standpoint of it. And, you know, we kind of prepare to the point of where we want to make sure that we know how prepared the teams are because I like to do the prep and I know you like to do and most of the listeners here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. You want to do a little bit of preparation as to where your funds are going. So that's the other part of the reason why we dig in and hear from the players and coaches as well. And, yeah, 97.3 The Game, man, we've been cranking it out. You can find that on the iHeartRadio app. I'm on there from noon to 6 local time here, so that's 1 to 7 p.m. each and every day, Monday through Friday, for the folks out east. So I get this microphone right in front of me every single day, Greg, and I just try not to screw it up, so I appreciate the kind words. I am right there with you, my friend. When you do something you love, you feel like you don't work a day in your life, and Bill Mm -hmm. does a terrific job just on the wide variety of shows and platforms that he always appears on. And, hey, he occasionally joins this podcast and always brings it like he did today. So big thanks to Bill Schmidt for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time for the podcast. It can be a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday. And a little something you like to call, punch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We're back here lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to get Bill Schmidt of Sports Map Radio on the podcast. Also does some great work over there with the game in Milwaukee as well. He, much like myself, holds it down late night over there on radio. I'm doing my work with the Vegas Heads and Information Network now every weekend as well. So... We late-nighters always have to stay together, and he does absolutely tremendous work out there in the great state of Wisconsin. So, a big thanks to Bill for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Wednesday. And a little something I'd call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSquarty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all neat, clean, and easy. We do have a couple TBD pitchers, but for the most part, we know who's going to be going in a lot of these games as we begin with 951-952 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals set the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Peter Lambert is going to be going for the Rockies. Paulo Espino is going to be going for the Nationals. The Nationals are finding themselves as a very slight underdog here. You're going to be getting them as bad as a minus 110, as good as a minus 101 with the Rockies. You're going to be getting them as good as a minus 106 and as bad as a minus 110. So relative pick em game here. 12 to 12 and a half is your total on the 12 and a half. Under is between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is between even a minus 105 on the 12. Over is between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Colorado Rockies just because I do like the fact that they're able to back up their pitcher a little bit more with guys that have familiarity out there at Coors. You take a look at Espino, and the guy's been a little bit of a hot mess recently, especially on the road with a 5.23 ERA, giving up 10 home runs over the course of 41 and a third innings. I think that this is a place where he's just not going to have any success. So you take a look at Espino, and his walks per nine rate is right around a 2.1, so that's actually relatively solid, and you do take a look at the fact that he's only given up four runs over the course of his last three starts. That is very good, but his road starts are just where things have really been hitting the skids from recently. Has given up at least three runs in three out of his last 
has four starts on the road. And then with Lambert, he made his first start at the big league level since 2019, a few nights ago. He wound up going three and two-thirds innings, giving up a pair of homers to the San Francisco Giants. I think that this is a case in which Lambert probably going to be out there for about three to four innings, and then he's going to give way to the bullpen. Daniel Bart has been solid at home for the Rockies on the road. He's got like an 8-5 ERA. So home and road splits, big there, and they're big for the Colorado Rockies in general. This is a team that has a collective. They hit right around at 280 at home and about double amount of the home runs per nine innings as they do on the road. You've got a guy like C.J. Crone, who so far this year, 28 home runs. He's had 19 of them come at home. You've got all but two home runs for someone like a Charlie Blackman come at home. You've got Trevor Story sitting right around 200 on the road, close to a 300 at home. Then you've got a Washington National team in which they've been able to supply the boom on offense. Juan Soto along Josh Bell. Both of them will give you 27 home runs with Soto a 470 on base. It's absolutely incredible. Lane Thomas ever since coming into the fold. He's hitting right in the neighborhood about a 300 with the team. Yadier Hernandez is hitting at 275. Kibeto he's been able to do a relatively solid job. You take a look at him over the last three days. He's hitting right around 285. So, got some good work being done there. When you take a look at the Nationals and the bullpen of Ryan Harper and company, not necessarily great. Harper wound up having a very good start to the year. You take a look at him over the last three days and his ERA is north of a 9. Kyle Finnegan's able to give you some good innings, but Tanner Rainey is not reining it in. You've got Mason Thompson. He's able to give you a little bit of something, but Alberto Boladano not something I necessarily have a lot of faith in either. I do think that this is going to be a very high scoring game. I just have a little bit more faith in the Rockies being a little bit more equipped to slug it out at Coors Field, so I did wind up making the Rockies a minus-123 favorite with the total being at 12.3, so I'm going to be taking the over, and I'm going to be taking the shot here on the Rockies. 953-954 is a game in which currently does not have numbers, as you've got the Chicago Cubs, and they're going to be in the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates, as Ronce Contreras is going to be making his MLB debut for the Buccos, and Kyle Hendricks, the professor, is going to be going for the Chicago Cubs. You take a look at Contreras, and he had some very good minor league numbers. A 264 ERA overall. Now, all but one of his starts wound up coming at the double A level. So, you've got caution there, but how about 12.6 strikeouts to two walks on a per nine inning basis? A guy that has a pretty electrifying fastball. So, I actually do like the upside of him. It is going to be his first career start, though. And then you take a look at Kyle Hendricks, and it's been really intriguing to watch him all season long because this is a man that throughout his career has always been better at home than he has been on the road. This year, he's got a better road ERA than he does a home ERA. It's absolutely incredible, by the way, that he's got 14 wins on this poopy Cubs team. That's a story for another day, though. 8 2 road record. 432 ERA. is given up 12 home runs in 83 and a third innings. An opponent's earning a 270 off of him on the road, but at home, 19 bombs given up in more like 92 and two-thirds innings with opponents saying a 286 off of him. Now, both of these bullpens wound up getting spent yesterday because both of these starting pitchers, well, they didn't lend a whole lot of lot as you wound up having Adam Morgan come in. He wound up giving up quite a few runs. Michael Rucker has been absolutely terrible for the Chicago Cubs. He's been able to get a little bit of something out of Cody Hoyer, but he has really regressed recently as well. Then you've got the Pittsburgh Pirates with David Bernard along Jason Shreve doing some quality work for the scene, but they had to use up Anthony Bunday yesterday, so you got Nick Mir, Shelby Miller, guys like this, but you do take a look at the Cubs, and their big upside is the fact that the top of the lineup is very good for the scene. Frank Schwindel, hitting a 340 overall, he's got eight home runs over the last three days for the scene. Matt Duffy's hitting right around 280, Nick Martini, so hitting right around 8265, but then you take a look at both of the Romines, Sergio Contra, you're able to throw in there a few other guys hitting at 225 or lower, and it makes it a little bit more difficult for Rafael Ortega, right? the leadoff spot, hitting a 285 with a 350 on base, but you don't have guys in the back half getting on for you, and then you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, and got a lot of guys that need to do a better job of being able to get on, as you've got Anthony Alford, Michael Chavis, Cole Tucker, along Kevin Newman, 
all hitting between about a 213 to a 235. Wilmer Defoe's been able to give this team a little bit of something. He, Colin Moran, are a pair of guys hitting right around 265. Jacob Sellings is hitting right around a 245. You've got Yoshi Satsugo ever since coming into the fold. He's hitting right around 290. He's been able to slug out eight home runs at about 37 games. And Brian Reynolds, north of 20 bombs, hitting a 300. He has been terrific for this team. But I take a look at the professor. I think that he is much more equipped to being able to give a good start. I do think that Contreras has a lot of upside, but I just take a look at this Pirates offense, and despite the fact that they're at home, I just really can't take a shot on this team until I just see them give a little bit more offense in this spot, which is why I'm going to be setting a relatively low total in this spot because I just don't know if the Pirates are going to really be able to exceed four runs in this spot. So I want to making this total an 8.6. So in a half or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. A nine or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And I'm saying the Cubs is a minus 138 favorite in this spot, trusting in Hendricks. 955-956 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins at the red face off against the New York Metropolitans. Taiwan Rocker going to be going for the Mets. Eliezer Hernandez is going to be on the bump for Miami. 7.5 is your total. Under is minus 120 and the over is even with the Mets. You're going to be getting them between minus 165 and minus 170. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Metropolitans is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 158. And a spot in which I wound up saying the Miami Marlins as a plus 164 underdog. So we missed a little bit there. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Mets, so because the Miami Marlins are a team that have been playing a lot of low-scoring games, and for that matter, the Mets as well. I believe that they are dead last with regards to runs per game at home in all the big leagues. Finding them anywhere between about a plus 125 to a plus 130 on that run and a half. So I'm going to wind up laying the run and a half with the Mets. You take a look at it, and you've got a pair of guys that have north of 30 home runs for the New York Mets. And Pete Alonso, Javi Baez. Both of these guys hitting between about a 262 270. You've had Jeff McNeil hitting right around 250 for this bunch. Jonathan VR is in that neighborhood as well. But now you've got Brandon Nimmo back at the fold. He's hitting a 300. J.D. Davis has been in and out of the fold. Whenever he's been in there, it's great, but you can't count on him for really anything at this point, and you really can't count on this Miami Marlins offense as you've got Eddie Alvarez, Austin Jackson, Peyton Henry, a whole bunch of guys. They're in below the Mendoza line of 200. Luan Diaz, not much above that at 215. Luis Brinson, more like a 225. Brian De La Cruz has actually been very good hitting above 300, but without Aces Aguirre on the fold, you've got two guys that have north of 10 home runs in this lineup. Aces Sanchez, who's got nine home runs over the last 30 days for this team, is doing a solid job along Miguel Rojas, who's hitting a 265, and then you've got Jazz Chislam with that double-digit amount of homers. He's been able to give you right around 250 batting average all in all this year. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins and they were able to get a solid start out of Trevor Rogers in game two of their double dip, but they still did wind up having to use the bullpen quite a bit yesterday. Richard Blyer wound up having to come in for this team. You've got a guy in Stephen O'Kurt that wound up getting used up along Zach Pop. So you're going to be looking to Dylan Floro and company. And then you take a look at the Mets and Aaron Loop all year long has been very good for the team with right around a one ERA. South Lugo has been up and down this year, but he and Edwin Diaz both used for 15 pitches or fewer yesterday. So I do think that there's a little bit of upside there. And when it comes to Taiwan Walker, he's been all-in-all all okay of being able to limit the contact. His big bugaboo has been the deep ball. He wound up giving up seven home runs in his first 17 starts of the year. In his last 12 appearances overall, he's given up 19 of them. That has really been bad, but now he gets a face-off against the Miami Marlins. I think that this is a good get-right spot for him. He's given up at least five runs in three out of his last four starts. Then you take a look at L.A. Azer Hernandez, and he's not good at not giving up the deep ball either. He has now given up five home runs in his last four starts. All-in-all, all, he's given up 12 bombs in 46 
36 and two-thirds innings, home and road. He's a guy that winds up giving up a lot of hard contact. Only gives up right around 2.7 walks per nine innings, but opponents are overall hitting a 260 off of him. When he gives up all that hard contact, it makes it very difficult. So I'm going to be taking a look at the New York Mets on the run line, and because both of these guys are prone to giving up the homer, set this all at 8.4. So going over along the Mets on the run line, 957-958 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies to throw it face off against the Atlanta Braves as you've got Max Freed going for the Bravos and Aaron Supernola going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies between plus 120 and plus 125 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Atlanta Braves, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140 is your price there, and 8 is the total. Over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 on the juice, and I want to sing the Atlanta Braves as a minus 146 favorite. I do like the way that Max Freed has been able to roll in. You just take a look at this Philadelphia Phillies team, and you've got to be handicapping them so differently home to road, because at home, this is a Philadelphia Phillies team that they've been very consistent. They've been able to get the job Done. Going into yesterday, this is a team with a road record that was sitting at 34 and 41. And then you've got an Atlanta Braves team that you've got a quadrant of guys who have been able to give you all at least 30 home runs so far this year. And Ozzy Albies, Adam Duvall, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman. With Riley and Freeman, both of these guys hitting right around 300. Dansby Swanson is hitting right around 245. He's went deep 27 times. Orde Soler, he's hitting right around 260 with his punch. He's got 24 home runs so far this year. Very fearsome lineup. And then you take a look at this Philadelphia Phillies bullpen, and they don't necessarily back up. Aaron Nola with much of anything as Archie Bradley is currently on the injured list. You've had a lot of guys like Bailey Falter, Ian Kennedy, not necessarily perform well recently, Cam Bedrosian. I have absolutely no faith in him. Sam Coonrod he is not been good for the team or for the Atlanta Braves. Ever since the All-Star break, they rank in the top eight with regards to bullpen ERA. Luke Jackson is right around two ERA so far this year. You take a look at Tyler Mazik ever since mid-July. He's got right around a two-ish ERA. A.J. Minter in his last six appearances has not allowed a run. Richard Rodriguez has been able to do a good job for this team. Then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies and right now it's just all Bryce Harper. Harper has been amazing for this team. He's got 18 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August and he's got a 432 on base. Gene Segura sitting at 295 as well, and you've got a couple guys getting on base JT Riamito and Oduba Herrera. Both of these guys in between about a 262 to 270, and gotta give some kudos to Herrera. You take a look at him over the last 30 days, he's hitting right around 285, but you need Andrew McCutcheon, Didi Gregorius, guys like this to get on. Both of these guys in between about a 210 to a 225. Brad Miller's right around 227. I will say for McCutcheon, he does have 25 home runs, but certainly a little bit of a soft spot there. And I mentioned it with Max Freed a little bit earlier, the way that he's been able to roll. How about him at home so far this year? Posting up a 3.09 ERA, five home runs given up in 75 and two-thirds innings. Opponents earning a 2.24 off of him. And then for Aaron Nola, he's just so much better at home than he is on the road. 5.32 road ERA. He's given up 15 home runs in 93 innings on the road. Opponents earning a 2.46 off of him compared to a 2.23 in Philly. And Philly's given up more like 1.2 home runs per nine innings as well. His ERA falls by a full point. So this is a spot where the home and road split really plays a big factor for me. I just have a tough time trusting in this Philly's pitching rotation and especially Aaron Nola in general in this spot, so could be going with the Atlanta Braves on the money line. Made this all at 8.9 as well, so going over as well. We move on to 9.59, 9.60 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Michaelis is going to be going for the cards. Meanwhile, Adrian Don't Call Me Dookie Houser is going to be going for the Brewers. Currently, only DraftKings has a line on this one. 7.5 is your total over and under, both at minus 110. Brewers are set as a plus 105 underdog, and the St. Louis Cardinals at minus 125. I recognize that the St. Louis Cardinals entered into yesterday one of the hottest teams in the history of baseball with 16 straight wins, but in this spot, if I be getting a little bit of a plus price with the Brewers, I might wind up considering it because I wound up setting them as a minus 114 favorite. Adrian Hauser, 
a few weeks ago against this very St. Louis Cardinals team. Pitched a first complete game for the Milwaukee Brewers since, and I'm not even kidding here when I say it, Kyle Lotion 2014. Mr. Hauser has actually been very good for this team. Now, home and road splits do come into play a little bit. 396 road ERA compared to a 281 home ERA, but he is 6-3 on the road, giving up 5 home runs in 63 and 2 thirds innings with opponents saying at 235 off of him. Then you take a look at Miles Michaelis. Did not wind up pitching at all last season. This is a man that has given up at least 4 runs and now 3 out of his last 5 starts. He is someone that does a great job of not walking, guys. He's got 10 walks over the course of 39 innings, 5 home runs so far this year, so nothing great, nothing terrible, but it's been a really small sample size from last few years. You take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen and it's been a little bit mishy-mashy recently. They've been able to find a way to be able to get things done ever since really the middle of September with guys like Cody Whitley being able to step up. TJ McFarlane has about a 2-5 ERA for the St. Louis Garcia has really stepped up. Giovanni Gallegos a good reliever and for the Brewers I know that Devin Williams is dealing with a little bit of an ailment and Jay Cousins is on the 10-day injured list but you still have quite a few guys that you're able to trust in including that guy by the name of Josh Hader. He's pretty good. Miguel Sanchez has been able to give you some nice settings out of the bullpen as well. Brent Suter is someone that's got 12 wins out of the bullpen as well. Then you take a look at the Brewers and you've got to figure that William Adamas is probably going to be out of the fold once again for the team, but you still do have Colton Wong, Omar Narvaez, Abisail Garcia, all guys hitting between about a 265 to 275. You saw Luis Urias go deep yesterday for his 22nd home run of the year. He's hitting a 250. Jake Peterson is in that fold as well. And when it comes to Jace Peterson, along Luis Urias, you're able to throw in there someone like Lorenzo Cain. All these guys have at least a 335 on base. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, got a lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 254 to a 265 and Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Yadier Molina who wound up being out of the fold yesterday, Dylan Carlson as well. Then you've got Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt. Both of these guys have been absolutely incredible. 30 plus home runs for each of them. Both of these guys at least a 345 on base. And for Paul Goldschmidt, I mean, ever since the beginning of the month of July, this is the guy that's hitting right around a 335. It's just ridiculous. But with that said, I do think that Yadier Molina dealing with a little bit of an injury is a big deal. I like the way that Adrian Hauser is performing and we just haven't seen a lot of Miles Michaelis recently. So what I'm saying the Brewers is a very slight favorite as long as we do wind up getting this very pitching matchup, do wind up saying the total at an 8.2 as well. So if we see seven halves come on the board, going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Brewers at pretty much anything of a pick'em or greater. 961-962 on the bank board. The Arizona Diamondbacks hit the road face off against the San Francisco Giants. Alex Wood is going to be going for the Antes. Merrill Kelly is going to be on the bump for the D-backs. Diamondbacks are finding themselves as sizable underdogs as per usual, and we're playing about a plus 225 to a plus 236. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the San Francisco Giants and between minus 262 and minus 280 is your price. 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8, over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. And the over is anywhere between even minus 105. If you're looking at the Giants run line, getting that anywhere between minus 126 and minus 132. And that's a big relief because when it comes to money line, I was willing to take a shot on the Diamondbacks as anything north of a plus 235, but I see a differential on the Giants run line. I wound up setting it at as a minus 133. So getting between about a minus 125 to a minus 130 would certainly rather lay a run and F with the Giants rather than take a plus price with the Diamondbacks. Sure, there might be a little bit of value with that Diamondbacks run line, but the Giants, they've got all the motivation in the world to be able to win these games. You know that they are not going to be resting anyone with this NL West race continuing, and you take a look at Alex Wood. He has been a little bit of an up-and-down pitcher. He's got a 4 ERA overall, and not necessarily too much better at home than on the road. 386 home ERA, 420 road ERA, giving up 7 home runs in both locations. Has pitched a couple 
more innings at home, but opponents are just a 209 off of them, and it's hard to have any faith whatsoever in the years of the Diamondbacks being able to touch them up because they don't have a single guy in their lineup with north of 13 home runs. Quitel Marte, Dalton Varsho, Carson Kelly, Josh Rojas, Pavin Smith, all between 11 and 13 home runs so far this year. And for the Marte Parte, he's hitting a 325. You've got Josh Rojas along David Peralta, Pavin Smith, only between about a 255 to a 265, but you have no firepower whatsoever when it comes to these guys. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. These are just guys that started yesterday. Lamonte Wade, Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Chris Bryant, Mike Kusarumski, all between 18 and 25 home runs. Now, Brandon Belt is dealing with an injury. That's a little bit tough, but now you've got Evan Longoria back. He's hitting at 280. His home runs per at-bat is right around 17-ish. Tommy Lucella is back in the fold as well. You pass Steven Duger, so you've got a lot going on there. And with the years and the Diamondbacks, Jake Ferry is a failed star that went to the bullpen along Taylor Widener. Brett Guys has a 70 yard Joe Manette Tipley along Tyler Clippert. But it will give you a little bit of something, but the Giants lead the league with regards to bullpen ERA. Dominic Leon, a sub-2 ERA. Jarlin Garcia has been great all year long for this team with a right around 270 ERA. Kervin Castro, whenever called upon, has been great. He's made seven appearances for this team, 10 and a third innings going into yesterday, as yet to allow a run. Jose Alvarez, he's been able to do his job as well. So I do take a look at the spot, and it's hard to back the airs at the Diamondbacks, especially with Merrill Kelly now coming off the injury list because prior to going on the injured list, Merrill Kelly had actually led the Diamondbacks to victory in his last 10 stars before going on the IL. The team had actually been 6-4 and four in them ever since he's wound up coming back. He has went 10 and 2 thirds innings and starts against the Atlanta Braves and the LA Dodgers giving up 10 runs and the team has been dismounted upon in both of them. So it's not necessarily the same Merrill Kelly as prior to him going on the injured list and just throughout his career he's got a point and a half higher ERA on the road than he does at home. So this is the spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Giants run line. I did set this total at 9, so we're going to be taking a look at the over as well. 963, 964 on the bang board. The Slam Diego Padres hit the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Matt Max Scherzer is going to be going for the Dodgers. Undecided is on the bump for the Padres, so we've got no numbers up on this game. Got to figure that it's going to be a poo-poo platter of Padres pitchers, and that could mean Vince Velasquez. Perhaps they wind up bringing back our good buddy Jake Arrieta. It might be Javi Guerra, Ross Tetweiler, or they could just pick a fan on the sands. I mean, that's the way that this Padres team is operating right now. It's just an absolute clown show as to what they're throwing out there when it comes to pitchers, and they have to go up against an L.A. Dodgers lineup that, if you take a look at what they wound up throwing out there yesterday, they had one guy hitting below a 245, and that would be Gavin Lux, one of the hottest prospects we've ever seen, as you've got A.J. Pollock, Justin Turner down for what? Chris Bryant, Will Smith, Max Muncy, Trey Turner down for what? And Mookie Betts, all with at least 17 home runs. Yeah, that's pretty darn good and pretty much all these guys aside from Muncie hitting at least a 260. So yeah, that's a great lineup. And then you take a look at the Padres. And the lineup is solid, but they've averaged a fewest runs per game of any National League team since the beginning of the month of August. It's just all completely unraveled for them. You've got guys that are able to get on base for you. You've got Jake Cronenworth, Manny Machado, Eric Cosmer, all in between a 268 and a 280 with Cronenworth 20 home runs so far this year. Machado 27 home runs. Whenever you've had Adam Frazier out there, he's been hitting more like a 275 with the Padres after he wound up hitting above 300 for the Pirates, Fernando Tatis Jr. 41 home runs, 25 stolen bases. He's hitting a 280. 85, that's great. And then got guys like Drixon Profar, Trent Grisham in between about a 232, 240, but they get on base. But it's been ghastly bad because this bullpen has just been used and abused. I mean, you've got a guy like an Emilio Pagan, Craig Stem, and all these guys. Their arms are about to fall off because they've just been used for so many innings, and it looks like Stammen is now on the injured list. So that's another blow for them. And then with the Dodgers, they've got the second best bullpen here in the big leagues, utilizing a lot of guys that you wouldn't expect. Guys like Alex Vasia, Phil Bickford, Justin Brule, all these guys have sub 3 4 
ERAs. Pursuiter Gradrell has looked very good recently for this team. Over the last 30 days, Gradrell has been able to accumulate a buck 64 ERA in his appearances. So that's been beneficial. They now got David Price coming out of the bullpen once again. And for Max Scherzer, he did wind up giving up the five runs in Coors. But aside from that certain Coors field, he's got right around a .75 ERA with the LA Dodgers giving up like one home run in that time span and two runs or fewer in every game in which he started as a Dodger outside of Coors Field. So I'm going to be saying the Dodgers as north of a $2 favorite unless if the Padres wind up bringing back like Gaylord Perry in his pride or something like that. And this is a spot in which if it is a bullpen game against Scherzer, probably going to be setting an 8 or lower to the over, 8 after I to the under. 965, 966 on the banging board. You've got the Boston Red Sox and they hit the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles as Zach Luther is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Nathan Eovaldi takes a bump for the Red Sox, and the Red Sox find themselves the biggest favorite in the American League as they find themselves anywhere between a minus 233 and a minus 255 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price with the Orioles, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 205 and a plus 220 with 9.5 being your total. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And if you're taking a look at the run line of the Red Sox, since I think that many of you guys are, finding that right around minus 150 to a minus 155, and I made this run line more like a minus 175. So that's where we're going to be taking a shot here with the Red Sox. It's just one of these things in which it's hard to even consider the Orioles unless if they're getting like $3 at this point. I do recognize that they put up a good effort yesterday, but I take a look at this bunch and the pitching in general for this team is just absolutely deplorable. You look at our man, Mr. Lawther, who's going to be going out there for this team. He's got an ERA that is north of eight right now. I mean, you just take a look at the guys that are going to be coming out of the bullpen for this team as well. Lawther has a 7.66 ERA, so I sold them a little bit short. I apologize about that, but Spencer Watkins... 842 ERA. You've got someone like Mike Bauman, who's got a 990 ERA. You've been able to get a little bit out of Tom Eshelman along with Brooks Kriske. They both have ERAs between a 675 and a 720. You've been able to get good innings out of Cole Solzer, but now you've got Tanner Scott on the injured list. Getting back to Mr. Lawther it has been absolutely terrible for him now. He is actually coming off the start in which he went five scoreless against the Texas Rangers, but the Texas Rangers are the worst offense in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, and last time Mr. Lawther wound up facing off against the Boston Red Sox, he went three and a third innings, giving up three runs, and the team wound up losing by kind of nine to three. You take a look at Lothar at home, 7.97 ERA, giving up five home runs and 20 and a third innings. His walks per nine rate at home is a four and a half, and opponents are getting a 280 off of him. There's not really much there. Now, I will say for Nathan Eovaldi, he clearly has been a pitcher that has been much better at home than he has been on the road himself. You take a look at the splits, and he's got a 4.62 road ERA, giving up nine home runs in 62 and a third innings. Meanwhile, six home runs given up on 114 innings at home, which I think is absolutely insane, but playing against the Baltimore Orioles is is a luxury that you'd like to have. Now with the Baltimore Orioles, you actually do have a couple guys who are able to do a solid job of being able to get on base, and a pair of guys in Cedric Mullins and Ryan Mountcastle who both have given you between 30 and 32 home runs. That's solid. Mullins is sitting near 300, and then you've got Mountcastle, Trey Bubu Mancini, Austin the Saves kid, Pedro Severino, along with Anthony Santander. Lying between about a 245 to a 260, but then you got Domingo Leyva, Ryan McKenna, Pavaleka, Jemai Jones, Kelvin Gutierrez, only at 225 or lower, DJ turned it up. Stewart, Austin wins are all in that fold. Then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. Hey, got a lot of guys doing a great job of getting on base for you. J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, all these guys are at least a 275. All these guys have been able to supply the boom with at least 23 home runs. Kyle Schwarber now has 32 bombs on the year. Hunter Renfro, 20. 
29 of them. And for Schwarber, he's hitting about a 265. Bobby Dolbeck has been hitting about a 275 with nine home runs over the last 30 days. Jose Iglesias, he's hitting a 270. Christian Vasquez, more like a 260. Alex Verdugo, more like a 290. So, got a lot of firepower there. And for the Boston Red Sox, they have been trying to go without a Garrett Woodlock for quite a while, but still here to Kazuso Automata. He's been able to do a good job on the bullpen for the team. You've been able to get some good innings recently out of Matt Barnes after he wound up coming off of the COVID IL. So, They've been doing a good job of being able to mix and match. I just think that Lothar is going to get absolutely destroyed in this start, which is why I wound up saying the solo at 10.2, because I think that the Boston Red Sox have a chance to be able to put up a touchdown with the extra point all by themselves. So we're going to be taking a look at the Red Sox on the run line to go along with this total over. 967-968 on the bank board. The New York Yankees hit the road faceoff against the Toronto Blue Jays as Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Jays. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. Yankees, very slight favorites. Any 14 minus 110 minus 120 with the Blue Jays, anywhere between even money and plus 105 is your price with 8.5 of your total. Unders, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The unders, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And you take a look at Garrett Cole, and he is gunning for the Cy Young Award, and so is Robbie Ray of the Jays. So, going to be very interesting to watch these next couple days of the series. But Garrett Cole has certainly been able to get it done, and especially on the road. He's actually got a better road ERA than he does a home ERA. 305 road ERA, 311 home ERA. So, relatively equal there. Let's give it up 12 home runs at 94 innings on the road. 10 home runs at 81 innings at home. So on a home runs per nine rate, relatively equal there. So he's been able to duplicate his performance no matter where he's been. Jose Barrios began his career as being a very good home pitcher and then wasn't necessarily so good on the road. That is even out recently throughout his career as well, and especially getting traded. He's been moving around quite a bit, but 380 road ERA, 320 home ERA at home. He's given up 11 homers in his starts between the Blue Jays and the Minnesota Twins in 98 innings. So he's been relatively solid there. His strikeouts per nine rate overall is right around 10 per nine, so he's been able to do a good job there with the Blue Jays. They do have a little bit more firepower than the New York Yankees when it comes to the lineup. You do have Marcus Simeon along with Guerrero Jr. Both of these guys, 43 plus home runs with Guerrero, hitting about a 315 with a 404 on base with Simeon sitting more like a 270 Bo Bichette along with Teoscar Hernandez. Both have been able to hit a 290 plus with Bichette 26 home runs. Hernandez 31 home runs and I believe that Teoscar Hernandez actually leads the league in RBI ever since the All-Star break. Lord Escorial, he has been white hot with the bat as well. You take a look at him over the last 30 days. He's hitting a 349. He's been able to give you a 7 homer 30 RBI. So he has been very good for this team under the radar with all these other guys but George Springer hasn't necessarily looked like himself since coming off the injury list and then with the Yankees. Got a trio of guys with at least 33 home runs apiece. John Carlos San, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo. Now I will say for Joey Gallo, Gary Sanchez, Brett Carter, you're able to throw in there. Rudinette Odor, whenever he's in the full Kyle Agashioka, these guys are in a 225 or lower, but you do have Mr. DJ LeMay along to your shell. Anything between about a 262 and 270. Flavor Torres is just not giving you much, but Anthony Rizzo, he's just such a positive guy for the team. He had an RBI for them yesterday as well, so that is big. And you take a look at the Yankees. I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job in the bullpen. Aroldo Shaman has been all over the place for the team, so that's going to be a big giant question mark, but Michael King is able to give you some really good long relief. Lucas Lutke has been solid. Wani Peralta, Julie Rodriguez, both 3-5 ERAs or lower over the last 30 days. Luis Severino is a nice weapon for the team to have. And Adam Simber has been able to do a great job with the Blue Jays, but I do have my question marks when it comes to some of these other guys as well. Trevor Richards seems to be reining it in a little bit more, but Julian Merriweather, Nate Pearson, these guys have not necessarily impressed me. Anthony Castro is someone that overall for the year has a 4.56 ERA, so I wound up saying the Yankees in this spot as a minus 126 favorite. I think that Cole is going to outdo Mr. Jose Barrios. And what I think is going to be a little bit of a lower 
scoring game. Set the solo at 98.1. So going under along with the Yankees. 969-970 on the bank board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing us the Detroit Tigers. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Michael Pineda hopes to not be Michael Pineda for the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are finding themselves as anywhere between minus 159 and minus 165 favorites. Meanwhile, plus price with the Tigres is anywhere between plus 145 and plus 159 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. I'll state this right now. I am going to be taking the Tigers full well knowing that Casey Mize is on an innings restrictions limit. Probably going to be going three, maybe four innings in this spot, but with Casey Mize, he has been a rock-solid pitcher, and right around two-thirds of his starts have went under as well, so you may able to make quite a bit of money with that regard, but you take a look at Casey Mize's last four starts, three innings, two innings, three innings, three innings, and he's given up one run or fewer in three out of those four, and the good news for the Tigers is that they back him up with a relatively solid bullpen. Now, I recognize that the Tigers are a little bit banged up with that bullpen. Jose Cicero along Gregory Soto find themselves on the injured list, but Michael Fulmer is right around a three area. He has been really good. Ian Kroll, since coming out the injured list, he has had a little bit of a rough go of it, but even someone like Jose Urena has all of a sudden been able to give you innings out of the bullpen along Drew Hutchinson, so you've got a bunch of failed stars are now in the bullpen and are actually doing halfway decent. Then you take a look at Michael Pineda, and ever since he wound up coming out the injured list, He's actually been very solid for this Twins team. He's given up four earned runs in his last four starts. Hasn't necessarily given a lot of length. That's one north of five innings in just one of those starts, but he went three innings, five, five and two-thirds, and five, so he's been solid there. All in all, has given up more home runs than you'd like this year, right around home run and a half for nine innings, but he's been rating it in recently, and the Twins in the last three days have a top eight bullpen with regards to ERA. Now, I don't know how long that's going to be able to keep up. You've got Someone in Ty Duffy is okay. Luke Farrell's actually been very good. Danny Colombe has seen his ERA hike up a little bit. He and Caleb Theobar both have ERAs between a 3-4 and a 3-8-ish. Nick Vincent has been able to give you a little bit of something that's in a small sample size. And then you just take a look at the Minnesota Twins, and you've got a couple guys who are doing an absolutely amazing job in this lineup, and then you've got a lot of slugs as well. You've got Byron Buxton, who overall is hitting at 292 for the team, but since coming off the injured list, hitting more like a 230-ish. Ore Palonco has been great for the team. 31 home runs. He's hitting at 270. Josh Allen's at 350 on base. He's been able to give you 24 home runs. Miguel Sano only in a 218, but he has been able to supply the boom with 29 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of July. More like a 330 on base, but he, you're able to throw in there Brent Rooker, Ben Rothfett, Max Kepler, Jay Cave, and Dalton Simmons. I mean, you can go on and on of guys are in at 225 or lower. Then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers and the power slowed down for Robbie Grossman, Jonathan Scope, along with Eric Haas, all these guys between 21 and 24 home runs so far this year, but Jamie Candelario sitting at 275 with a 350 on base scope, hitting right around 275 as well. Akil Badu has been able to hit about a 255 for this bunch. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Dustin Garneau or since he wanted to be getting to get starts and Miguel Cabrera is someone that is now north of Mr. 500. He's been able to do a solid job of being a reach base, hitting a 317 over last three days, so that is something that is encouraging for this team. So, I take a look at the spot, and I do think that the Twins should be a favorite. I don't think that they should be anywhere near the sizable favorite, though. I wound up saying the Tigers had a plus 117, so more than willing to take a shot there. I think that this will be a well-pitched game. I wound up saying this all at 8.4, so going under, along with the Tigers plus price. 971-972 is the New York Post for the day. LA Angels set the road to face off against the Texas Rangers. Taylor Hearn is going to be going for the Rangers. Jansen Junk 
is going to be going for the Angels. If your team loses to junk, what does it make you is the question. Yes. You've got the Angels anywhere between even money and plus 110. Meanwhile, you've got the Rangers anywhere between minus 111 and minus 129 is your total. Unders minus 115. The overs minus 105. New York Postal of the day is going to be the Rangers on the money line. The Rangers are actually 4-2 and two in Hearn's last six starts. This guy has given up three earned runs or fewer in 12 out of his last 13 appearances overall. He's been using long relief a little bit prior to really becoming a starter towards the back half of the summertime. And you just take a look at Jansen Junk. He didn't necessarily do great work when he came to the minor league level. He pretty much pitched all of his starts at the AA level. And you take a look at him in the big leagues. 12 innings across... Four starts, and he's given up five home runs so far. He's got a 375 ERA, but that's because, like, half the runs he's given up are unearned, and they probably should have been earned, so he's got a lot of that going on. And for the Texas Rangers, the bullpen has actually been halfway respectable for this team. Jarrell Cotton has actually been mowing him down over the last three days. He's got an ERA that's sub two, so he's actually been able to do a nice job there. Spencer Patton has been able to give you some good innings. Brett Martin has all in all a 315 ERA for the season, but in his last nine appearances, has yet to give up a run. And then you got a Texas Rangers lineup that, let's face it, it's not very good. You do have Adolis Garcia. He has been able to slug out 30 home runs so far this year, but he's got three home runs over the last three days. He's hitting right around 240, but got quite a few guys in between, I would say, about a 260 to a 275. Andy Ibanez, Isaiah Canaire, are able to throw in there. Nate Lowe, DJ Turn It Up, Peters. He hasn't been doing a great job of being a reach base, but he has been able to give you some deep balls. He does have six home runs over the last three days for the team. Leody Tavares, Jonah Heim joined Mr. Peters in a 200 or lower but then take a look at the Angels. Second fewest runs per game of any team in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. Shoy Otani has been hitting barely above the Mendoza line ever since the latter part of July. His power numbers have fallen off. Jared Walsh has five home runs ever since the All-Star break. He, along with Brandon Marsh, here, both throwing their Phil Gosselin, David Fletcher, only between about a 258 to a 270. Max Sassy is now hitting a 250. Jack Mayfield, along with Jose Roas, Luis Ranifo. These guys are hitting a 220 or lower. And then for the Angels, they just don't have much of a bullpen whatsoever. They've been in the bottom ten of pretty much every bullpen metric every month this year. You've got Mike Myers, who is someone that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Jose Quijada has an ERA that is north of five. Oliver Ortega has a 7-11 ERA because he's always open to giving up runs. Andrew wants. He wants a season back. He's got a 5-70 ERA. So I take a look at the spot, and I think that Hearn is going to be able to give a good start. Jansen Junk is going to pitch like his name. Like junk. So the New York Post play today is fading junk and going with the Texas Rangers on the money line. I set it at a minus 148 personally. I did wind up setting the solo at an 8.1 because these two teams scoring the fewest runs of any in the American League ever since the All Star break. So diving under with the New York Post play today of the Rangers. 973, 974 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians hit the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. Daniel Lynch is going to be going for the Royals. Zach Polisak is going to be going for the Indians. Indians find themselves as between plus 102 and plus 109. Underdogs, meanwhile, if you're Take a look at the Royals anywhere between minus 112 to minus 125 is your price. Nine is your total. Under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105 for Plesak. It certainly has been a rocky season to say the least from. The good news with him is that he's not going to walk, guys. You take a look at his walks per nine rate and it's hovering right around two. So the command has been there. Problem is, he's also been roughed up really badly, giving up right around 1.65 home runs per nine innings on the road, a 498 ERA, giving up 12 bombs in 68 and two-thirds innings with opponents hitting a 253 off of him. Then you take a look at Daniel Lynch. The team was really hot for him, 
prior to this recent two-game losing streak. They had gone 7-2 in his previous nine starts. They have now lost each out of his last two, including him giving up four runs in his last start in six innings against the Cleveland Indians. But you take a look at Mr. Lynch, and this is someone that he's been able to do a solid job of being able to keep the ball in the yard a little bit more recently. He's given up nine home runs overall in 65 innings so far this year, four bombs in 29 and two-thirds innings in his starts at home. But you take a look at the way that things started for him. He wound up having a 15.75 ERA across his first couple starts. That was unsightly bad. Wound up giving up a couple deep balls here in September as well. But by and large, after he wound up having a terrible start to his career, he's been having more like a 3-5 ERA ever since he wound up getting the first two bad ones out of him. And then for the Kansas City Royals, they actually back him up with a top 10 bullpen with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. Domingo Tapia, Josh Shamout are able to give you some good innings. Jake Brents along Scott Barlow are coming through as well. Now the question for the Kansas City Royals is the hitting in general because you've got one guy doing a tremendous job of going yard for you and that would be Salvador Perez going into yesterday 46 home runs, north of 110 RBI. And you got guys are able to get on base for you as you've got Kyle Isbell, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benatendi, Whit Merrifield, all hitting at least at 275 for you. But other than Salvador Perez, you've got no power whatsoever for this team. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 3 error, but Carlos Santana, someone that they were looking to for power, he's hitting a 209. He's been a big funk. Hunter Dozier's hitting a 212. He hasn't supplied a lot of power either. Then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians in the middle of their lineup. You've got Framil Reyes along with Jose Ramirez. A pair of guys that have 30 plus home runs with. Mr. Jose Ramirez, 36 home runs going into yesterday. Both of these guys in between about a 255 to a 270. Joining them with that batting average is Harold Ramirez as well. Miles Straw is hitting about a 275. And they've got Amit Rosario back in the fold as well. Had a home run earlier in the week. He's hitting a 285. But then you've got Bradley Zimmer, Andres Jimenez, Yu Chang, all in between about a 220 to a 230. And then Roberto Perez along with Austin Edges at the catcher spot have just been absolutely terrible. But for the Cleveland Indians, Emmanuel Classe has been able to do a tremendous job out of the bullpen. You've been able to get some very good innings out of someone like Blake Parker as well. He's got right around 2.5 ERA. Brian Shaw's been a little bit up and down, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently. He's got a 2.57 ERA over the course of his last 15 days. And for the Kansas City Royals, it certainly is going to be a case of what Daniel Lynch is the real Daniel Lynch. I want him saying the Kansas City Royals as a team that I felt like should have been a little bit of a favorite, but I was willing to take the Indians as long as I was getting a plus 105 or greater. We barely got there with the plus 109, so I'm going to take the plus price here with the Indians. Also wound up setting the sold at 9.3, so going over along with the Indians. 975, 976 on the betting board. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays sitting there at face off against the Houston Astros. Lewis Garcia is going to be going for the Astros. Drew Rasmussen on the bump for the Rays. Currently, the only line we're seeing is at DraftKings as the Rays are plus 105 underdogs, minus 125 on the Astros. Nine is your total, over is minus 120, and the under is even. This seems like too high of a total, in my opinion. I want to saying this at an 8.6. You take a look at the way that Lewis Garcia has been mowing them down at home, and it's been absolutely magnificent. Meanwhile, Drew Rasmussen, in his last seven starts, he's given up two runs or fewer in every one of them. He has been absolutely tremendous for the Rays. You know that he's going to go five innings, and he's going to pass it off to a bullpen with guys like J.P. Fireisen, Pete Fairbanks, You've currently got on the injured list a few guys, which does make me star on them a little bit, like Nick Anderson is back on the injured list, Andrew Kittrich and company, but still a good bullpen that you're able to rely upon. And I mentioned it with Luis Garcia. He's pitching at home. 219 home area. 424 road ERA. Skipped up six home runs in 74 innings at home. 11 bombs in 76 and a third innings on the road. But inserting a 200 off of them at home. 252 on the road. Big time splits there. You take a look at the Astros and you've got a quadrant of guys who are all hitting at least at 275 with 24 home runs. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker along the Jordan Alvarez. 
Also been able to have Yoli Gurriel hit for north of a three-er. Whenever guys like Jose Siri and company have been out there, by the way, they've been able to do a good job. I like what I see. Uh, the young guys like Jake Myers and company. Get your spot has been a little bit rough for the team, but Jazz McCormick has been able to step up as well. Michael Brantley, whenever he's been out there, been hitting a 315. Alex Bregman has done a solid job since coming off the injured list. And then with the Tampa Bay Rays, trio of guys with at least 30 home runs. Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, along Nelson Cruz with Lau. He's hitting about a 240 with a 340 on base. Wander Franco wound up entering in DSJ with that ridiculous 41 game on base streak. Austin Meadows has been able to give you north of 100 RBI, 26 home runs. He's got a 232 batting average, but more like a 350 on base. G Man Choi only a 225 with a 350 on base. That is absolutely ridiculous as well. And then you take a look at the Astros. The bullpen has been very solid for this team as well. They picked up Kendall Graven at the trade deadline. Yimi Garcia has announced he worked out, but Ryan Presley is like a 2-5 ERA. You've been able to get some solid innings out of Christian Avier whenever he's been in the super reliever spot. This is a spot in which I want to make it the Astros as a minus 113 favorite and a total of an 8.6. So at the 9 we're seeing right now, I'd be taking a look at the under. We need to see more lines to populate, but if I'm able to get the Rays at north of a plus 113, I'll be taking a shot there. If we see more like Astros more around like a minus 110-ish. We'll be taking a shot there. I officially set the Astros at minus 113. So we will see what winds up shaking out once we get more lines on this game. 977-978 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing us to the Oakland Athletics. One, Frankie Montas is going to be going for the Athletics. Logan Gilbert down the bump for Seattle. 7.5 to 8 is your total on the 7.5. You're finding the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. On the 8th, the under is between minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Oakland A's, getting them between minus 110 and minus 120, your price on the Seattle Mariners. Anywhere between even money and plus 104. And I was willing to lay up to a minus 121 here with the Oakland A's. Frankie Montas has been just the ultimate stopper. For an athletic team that they really needed as he's given up three runs or fewer in 15 out of his last 16 starts and he's performed really well on the road. 334 home ERA, 365 road ERA, giving up 11 home runs over the course of 81 and a third innings on the road. That's a little bit worse than the nine bombs he's given up in 99 and two thirds innings at home. But opponents are hitting just at 229 off of him, so he's been able to do a solid job there. Then you take a look at Logan Gilbert and he had some big time struggles when it came to the month of August into late July, but he's been able to find it recently. He has given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. Has been able to do a good job of command all year long. His walks per nine rate hovers right around at 2.2, so he's been able to do a superb job there. The caution I have is that he's actually pitched worse at home than he has on the road. 591 home ERA compared to a 575 ERA on the road. Nine home runs given up in 58 and two-thirds innings at home. Similar innings on the road, and he's only given up seven on opponents earning a 264 off of him in Seattle compared to a 225 on the road. And you take a look at this Oakland A's team, and you've got a bunch of guys who are able to get on base for you. Josh Harrison, Matt Olson, Mark Hanna, Tony Kemp, Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte, all these guys have at least a 345 on base for you, Matt Olson. Has no doubt been the best manager for this team when it comes to home runs. 38 home runs, 109 RBI going into the game yesterday. Got quite a few guys doing a solid job of being reach base, so Tony Gemp and Jan Gomes in between about a 262, 265. You do need Matt Chapman to be able to pick it up with the batting average, only in a 210 overall. On base is actually not that bad. He's given you 13 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August. Got Seth Brown and John Murphy both being able to supply 17 home runs along with Mark Canna. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners and got a lot of guys lacking with regards to batting average. So it puts pressure on Ty France, who's hitting nearly a 300 with 18 home runs. J.P. Crawford with a 272 batting average. And Mitch Anniger and Kyle Seager to supply bombs because both of these guys, 35 plus home runs going into yesterday. But with Seager, Ore Mamaloes, Jared Kelnick. 
Tom Murphy along Jake Fraley. You're able to throw in there Jake Bowers. All these guys in a 220 or lower. Though I will say, Lewis Torrance has been amazing for the team. Only in a 240 for the year, but you take a look at him in the last three days. A 308 batting average. It feels like this guy just hits like a 575. One of our guys are on base, by the way, as well. He's been very clutch here. Abraham Toro hitting about a 260 for this punch as well. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners bullpen. And it's been very good. Yohan Ramirez has an ERA that's hovering right around three. Casey Sadler, Paul Sewell, Drew Second Rider. These guys have been able to give you some good innings. And for the Oakland A's, their bullpen is north of five over the last 45 days. They've been in the bottom five in the big leagues with bullpen ERA over the last 45 days. Lou Trevino has really seen things tell around him. Sergio Romo, ever since the beginning of the month of September, has not been great either as Trevino. 6.55 ERA over the last 30 days. Seo Luis Carrera wound up getting touched up a few days ago. Jake Diekman has really seen regression come in. Andrew Chafin has actually been the best constant for the team. He's got about a buck 73 ERA. He's actually got a 154 ERA this month, so he's actually been the one guy that you can trust in, but with that said, I do think that you're going to be able to get a solid start here on Frankie Montas, Logan Gilbert, just has not necessarily been the best at home, so I think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. Going to be riding with the Oakland A's, set this all at 8.7 as well, so going over along with the Athletics, and we're going to wrap things up with 979-980 on the main board. The Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are in Cincinnati, and they're on to the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Carlos Rodan is going to be going for the White Sox. Sonny Gray is going to be on the bump for the Reds. Reds are finding themselves as underdogs between plus 150 and plus 155. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Southsiders, you're going to be getting them anywhere between a minus 164 and a minus 170 with 8 to 8.5 being your total. On the 8, overs minus 115, the unders minus 105. On the 8.5, unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 105. I want to say the White Sox as a minus 167 favorite and you go to the run line, you're finding this right in between about a plus 115 to a plus 120. I needed at least a plus 118 to be able to take the White Sox run line. So seeing the plus 120 at Circa, that is going to be calling my name because I do think that we're going to see both of these teams be able supply a little bit of offense. I just have a lot of caution when it comes to backing the Cincinnati Reds at this point because when you take a look at the Reds, they have been without Jesse Winker for the last few days along Taylor Naquin, so that is no doubt wound up hurting them. Now you got Joey Votto along with Nick Cassianos. Both of these guys, at least 33 home runs. Both of these guys, north of the 360 on base. Jonathan India, a 380 on base. He's been able to hit a 270 for this bunch. He's got north of 20 home runs at the leadoff spot. And then Eugenio Suarez has all of a sudden been able to hit for average. He's got over the last three days a 339 batting average and six home runs over the course of his last 62 at bat. So, that has been absolutely magnificent. You take a look at Kyle Farmer along Tucker Barnard, both of these guys in between about a 250 to a 265, but then you've got a White Sox team in which you've just got a whole bunch of landmines in this lineup. You've been able to have Tim Anderson hit above a 300. Luis Robert is hitting in the neighborhood about a 350 right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then you've got a quadrant of guys in between about a 258 to a 270 in Lori Garcia, Yoel Mancada, Eloy Jimenez, and then you got Jose Abreu in that fold. And for Mr. Abreu, he entered into yesterday, second in the league at RBI with one and thirteen. The home run power has went down a little bit after he had a double digit amount of bombs in the month of August, but certainly has been able to get the job done for the same Gavin Cheats, Cesar Hernandez. Both of these guys are able to provide a little bit of power. And then yes, Monty Grandal. Ever since coming off the injured list, this guy's been hitting like a 350. He's been able to get a home run every 10 or so at bats ever since coming off the injured list. So he has been amazing for the team. And then you take a look at the White Sox because this is going to be a little bit of an experimental start for Carlos Rodon. How he winds up doing in this start is going to determine what he winds up doing in the postseason. So I would expect this to be like 
a three-inning, maybe a four-inning outing for Mr. Rodon, but he's backed up by Michael Kopech because they able to give you multiple innings. Craig Kimbrell has been very solid for the team. Liam Hendricks, he has been able to really dial in recently. And you take a look at someone like an Aaron Bummer who wound up having a bummer of a start to the season, but you take a look at him over the last three days, 0.82 ERA over his last 13 appearances, so that is something that is very beneficial for the team. Then you take a look at the Reds, and this has actually been one of the best bullpens in the big leagues over the last three days. Michael Givens, Luis Sessa, these guys have been very good additions for the team, but you're now having to look to guys like Tony Satine for innings as well. This is a bunch in which they've been riddled by injuries, so that has been a little bit of an issue. Michael Lorenzen has been able to give you some solid innings along with Lucas Sims, but I do have my question marks when it comes to Sonny Gray as well. You take a look at Sonny Gray, and he by and large has been able to do a very solid job this year, but it certainly has been a season of ups and downs for him to say the least. He's given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. He's actually been able to do his best work on the road. 297 ERA, 489 home ERA, giving up five home runs in 60 and two-thirds innings whenever he has been on the road, but at the same time, he is someone that we have seen him give up quite a few runs recently, at least three runs given up, and now three out of his last four starts, so that is something that I take a look at. Six bombs given up in 27 innings in this month, so I am going to be taking a look at the White Sox on the run line in this spot, and with this total, I was willing to take it as long as I was getting the 8.5 that we are currently seeing, so we are going to be going over, and I'm going to be taking a shot here on the White Sox run line, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Wednesday. A big thanks to Bill Schmidt over there with Sportsman Radio for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you'll be able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be out for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNRSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Via that five-star review. Good to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 